Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. Hope you guys are doing okay. But there is no time to dwell on formalities right now, because I have just cracked the lid off of some top-secret shit that has been hiding in plain view for years. So I've been puzzled for years by a certain common bumper sticker. I think you'll know the one I'm talking about. Travels in packs. It's usually right next to the one where the uh, word coexist is spelled out in Lucky Charms. And by the one where they think that the Air Force should throw a bake sale, because I guess those guys make great cookies or something. I couldn't be bothered to read the whole message there. The bumper sticker that I'm talking about is the one that says the word Earth. But then in the middle of it, the letters A-R-T are in red. What is going on with that? Are they saying that you can't spell Earth without art? Which is true, but kind of irrelevant because that's not really how etymology works. Or are they saying that there's no Earth without art? Which is just, you know, not true. And I finally figured it out. I cracked the code, guys. What they're saying is they've hidden art at the center of the Earth. National treasure style. I always thought that the Earth's molten core was filled with nickel, but apparently that's a bunch of lies started by the Illuminati so that they can hide all their paintings and shit in there. So, if you want to meet me at midnight, we're getting shovels, we're going to crack that shit out, and then we'll all have some paintings and statues and shit. Are you with me? Good. Glad that's out of the way. Now we got a comic book to discuss. So, without any further ado, let's ado this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Cecilia Hudson. Having a little trouble with the meter on this one, but I'm going to do my best. The Mystery Inc. gang's close friends with the Titans and with Kiss. Without further Scooby ado, let's read the synopsis. The New Teen Titans number 13. November 1981. Friends and foes alike. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drotted by George Perez. With inks by Romeo Tangal. Teen Titans roll call. Wonder Girl. Starfire, Raven, Kid Flash, Cyborg, Robin, Beast Boy. Previously in the New Teen Titans. Beast Boy's stepdad, Steve Dayton, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America, went missing somewhere in Africa. So the Green Teen hired his old buddy Cliff Steele, a robot man who goes by the nom de guerre Robot Man, to track down the absentee parent Plutocrat. Beast Boy felt better knowing that his imaginatively named metal buddy was on the case, but then he felt worse because he felt dead. You see, Deathstroke, an assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs, murdered the animal appearance assuming adolescent. Kind of. Mostly. Knowing that the only hope for their mostly dead teammate lay in the panacea powers of Paradise Island's Purple Ray, the new Teen Titans flew off to Donna's Wonder Girlhood home of Thamascara. After dropping Wonder Girl, Starfire, Raven, and a not entirely ex-animate Beast Boy off with the Amazons, Robin, Kid Flash, and Cyborg flew down to Africa to join Robot Man, Robot Man in his search for Steve Dayton. The Amazon scientist zapped Gar with a Purple Ray and it seemed to be working, but then an ancient Greek Titan named Hyperion, but who I like to call Fuckface Von Douchelord, showed up and everything went all to shit. First, the aforementioned ancient fuckface turned off the purple ray by sucking up all the solar energy it had been using. Then he used his ancient douche lord powers to mind control Donna into having a spontaneous orgasm and falling in love with him. Creepy and gross! What a fuckface! Fuckface and a mind controlled Donna freed the rest of the old Greek titans from their imprisonment in Tartarus and then a whole bunch of stupid and creepy shit happened. Basically, the old Greek titans and Donna fought the Greek gods of Olympus who were joined by Raven, Starfire, Donna's mom, and about a million Amazons. Then Athena showed up and gave everybody a condescending speech about free will 
will, so Fuckface and his Titan buddies decided to go back to Tartarus and try to spruce it up a bit. Donna was hurt and betrayed that Fuckface had manipulated her emotions, and we the readers were hurt and betrayed that nobody beat the shit out of Fuckface. Fuck that guy! Raven, Starfire, Donna, and the Amazons went back to Paradise Island and started zapping Beast Boy with their magic get better gun. With the notable exception of Fuckface remaining unpunched, things seemed to be going great. An apparently no longer dead Beast Boy opened his eyes for the first time since not quite dying. Hooray! But what's this? Our lime green Lazarus's first words after his resurrection are, I live, and I live to kill. Gadzooks! Is the green-skinned teen merely engaging in some good-natured Frankenstein goofs? Will Cyborg the Cyborg get along with Robot Man the Robot Man? And how will Starfire spend the rest of her stay on Paradise Island? Stay tuned to find out! Okay, so, sadly, no. Although, we never really do get a better explanation than that. Not really. If only they had something in common. And by winning the giant kangaroo rodeo, naturally. Of course! Donna is kicking some serious ass. She and her not-at-all-creepy college professor boyfriend Terry Long had been out on a date when they stumbled across a crime being committed. So, Donna changed into her wonder duds and started punching street toughs. She's understandably pissed off about her recent mistreatment by a certain fuckface, and is grateful for the opportunity to vent some of her rage by punching street punks. And throwing a forklift at them. Because I guess the crime she stumbled upon was taking place in a warehouse? Which means that Donna and Terry's dates include strolling through warehouses in the industrial district. Romantic. Anyway, Donna's a little freaked out at how pissed off she is, and manages to calm herself down and call the cops to come pick up the thoroughly punched punks. Hooray! Then she and Terry decide that seeing as how the warehouse touring portion of their date is kind of shot, it's time to go eat a salad and talk about how the Greek gods are a bunch of assholes. Donna mentions that she's a little bit worried about Gar and should probably head back to Paradise Island and check on how his purple panacea treatments are going. Meanwhile, on Paradise Island, Starfire is competing in Paradise Island's Mutant Kangaroo Rodeo. Hooray! Okay, I guess technically it's more of a freeform kangaroo riding joust than a rodeo, but that's even more badass. Hooray! Turns out, every time the Amazons are successful in battle, they celebrate by having a competition where they all ride giant mutant kangaroos and try to hit each other with lances. Then, everyone who isn't too mangled or killed gets off of their kangas, which is what they call their preteen dirty gene kung fu kangaroos, and hit each other with battle staffs until only one competitor is able to continue. Man. Ain't no party like a Thamascara party, cause a Thamascara party's got Kangas. Starfire is super into this tournament, because A, it reminds her of the space princess kung fu training she got from a bunch of awesome yeti space walrus monks, and two, Starfire is fucking rad. Starfire wins both parts of the contest, and feels justifiably pleased with herself when all the Amazons give her a standing ovation. Later, Starfire and Raven have a chat with Hippolyta. Raven is like, Paradise Island is just like the prog rock album cover I grew up on. But Starfire's like, nah, Hippolyta, Paradise Island is just like the prog rock album cover I grew up on. Hippolyta starts to tell them, girls, girls, Paradise Island is like both your prog rock album cover hometowns, even though it is clearly way more like Tamaran than Azeroth. I mean, can you imagine any of those Azerathian assholes riding a battle kangaroo? but she is interrupted by a giant explosion over by the medical facilities. The medical facilities? Isn't that where Gar is getting his purple panacea treatments? Yup. 
Looks like we're about to see what the story is with all his murder talk. Sort of. Gar has turned into a giant green brachiosaurus and won't shut up about how he wants to kill everybody. Huh. I thought that if a dude set foot on Thamascaran soil, then the whole place would explode or something. I guess maybe it doesn't count if the dude in question has shapeshifted into a dinosaur? Nobody brings it up, but that seems like kind of a weird loophole. Anyway, Raven turns into her astral soul bird form and is like, Hey Gar, chill the fuck out! So Gar chills the fuck out. Wait, that's it? So, why did Beast Boy get all murdery to begin with? Um, just cuz, okay? Too much purple ray, I guess? Or maybe not enough purple ray? Something like that. Anyway, Gar wakes up on a table back in the medical lab and appears to be back to his old self, which he demonstrates by making unwelcome and inappropriate sexual advances on the women who just saved his life. <sighs> yep, Beast Boy is back to normal. Meanwhile, in the jungles of Uganda, Kid Flash, Wally, and Cyborg have reached the rendezvous point where they were supposed to meet up with everybody's favorite robot man, Robot Man. Only thing is, there's no Robot Man in sight. Y you know, except for Cyborg. Speaking of Cyborg, Vic Stone is getting all pissy with his teammates. Turns out he's bummed about the way he left things back in New York with his definitely not girlfriend, just good friend, Sarah Sims. Also, he's worried about his, as far as he knows, mostly dead buddy, Beast Boy. Also, also, Wally is annoying the crap out of him. Seems like Vic is transitioning from being portrayed as a magically wise Negro with knowledge to share with the white protagonist, back to being portrayed as a angry young black man. Trademark. Oh good. Wally scouts ahead and returns after a few seconds. He seems pretty shaken by what he's found, but he says his teammates should probably see it for themselves. A few minutes later, Cyborg and Robin arrive at the ruins of what appears to be an ancient ziggurat. But why did that upset Wally so much? Is he worried that the discovery of this new ziggurat will diminish the prestige of the ziggurat of Ur that was initially built in the early Bronze Age and then restored by King Nabonidus in the 6th century BCE? That's just silly, Wally. There's room in our hearts for more than one ziggurat. Love of ziggurats shared isn't love of ziggurats diminished. There's nothing to worry about. Oh. Oh, I see. It's not the ziggurat thing. It's the fact that outside of the ziggurat is the mangled, crucified body of Robot Man with a sign around his neck that reads, Trespassers will be executed. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Cyborg senses that despite appearances to the contrary, Robot Man is only mostly dead. Hmm. Must be a Doom Patrol thing. Vic manages to use his mechanical know-how to patch up the predominantly passed-on Mr. Steel. When he recovers, Robot Man sasses the shit out of Vic. Must be a Doom Patrol thing. Once sufficiently mended, the mechanical Marvel goes on to inform his teen rescuers that he had been searching for Steve Dayton, who was in turn searching for the nefarious Madame Rouge, who all the way murdered the rest of the members of Doom Patrol. When he stumbled across these ruins, he managed to locate a secret hatch that leads underground, and then, blammo, no more memory. Hmm. Well, that's not suspicious. Kid Flash once again scouts ahead, his thoughts filled with a bunch of insecurities about how he still doesn't know if he wants to be a superhero or not, and blah blah blah, teen angst, blah blah. Before the junior Wizard of Wiz's interior monologue achieves a full goth level of emo, he runs into a pair of heavily armed and armored guards. He quickly disables them and signals his buddies that the coast is clear. The teens and their malfunctioning metal companion are stunned to find that beneath the ziggurat is an enormous high-tech secret base filled with hundreds of incompetent guards wearing mech suits. 
The heroes are still taking in the scope of the operation when the face of the murderous Madame Rouge appears on a huge view screen and informs the guards that there has been a security breach. Wally once again zooms ahead to scout out the situation and quickly locates the cell where Steve Dayton is being kept. Once Robin picks the lock, they find that Dayton is all loopy on account of the bad guys drugged him up something fierce. The dope-addled Dayton keeps insistently mumbling that his teen rescuers must retrieve something he calls the Mento Suit. Mento? The Fresh Maker? Robot Man explains that Dayton has designed a super suit that could channel all of his mental energies. Despite the fact that in Steve's current condition, channeling all of his mental energies would be able to possibly toast some bread, lightly, both Dayton and Robot Man are quite insistent that the Mento suit must be recovered. Hmm. Also, I am totally calling that suit the Fresh Maker from now on. Vic's like, we don't have time to find the Fresh Maker. But Robot Man's like, you gotta find the Fresh Maker. Then they all fight a bunch of guards. Then Wally's all like, while you guys were arguing, I went and found the Fresh Maker. Hooray! The weird thing is, hardly anyone was even guarding the Fresh Maker. Hmm. Oh well. The gang piles into their Titan jet and heads home, although they all have the sneaking suspicion that perhaps their escape was a little too easy. From within the shadowy depths of the ziggurat, the murderous Madame Rouge confirms the team's suspicion. She confides in her evil buddy, General Zal, that everything is going according to her plan, especially now that she has an inside man feeding her information about the Titans. Dun dun dun! Oh snap! A traitor infiltrating the Teen Titans? I sure hope they root this individual out so the Titans can relax, secure in the knowledge that they will never be betrayed by one of their own ever again. Ever. To be continued. And joining us once again is my good for many things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I am doing quite well. Good. I found out, as I told you earlier from my accountant, that I may be able to write off whiskey as a business expense for this podcast. Splendid. Agreed. Anyway, hmm. what'd you think of the issue? So much better. I loved this issue. This was so much fun. So much Really, better. right from the beginning, it's one of my favorites. It's up there for me with A Day in the Life. Mm. There were, I thought, a few missteps that kind of irked me a little bit. Mm. But overall, good times, man. Yep. Just talking about things that I like. It's not in order, but fucking kangaroo jousting? What? Yes, please. Little tiny T-Rex paw hands. Uh-huh. Is that how kangaroos really are? Because I thought they could... Box. Yeah. I feel like the boxing gloves are mostly for show. I think they can hit with them, but I feel like they mostly like, if certain cartoons are to be believed, <laughs> they mostly sit on their back, lie back on their tail, yeah. and then kick with their powerful hind feet. Okay. So these kangas <laughs> were, are perhaps accurate-ish. I think at least kinda. And also, they're enormous they are way bigger than a kangaroo so maybe they didn't grow evenly and their little t-rex paws didn't grow at the same rate as the rest of their crazy ass kangaroo bodies also maybe they just weren't using them but i didn't see any pouches uh blame it on the purple ray ah that purple ray mercurial man the purple ray giveth plot devices and it taketh (laughs) plot devices away ah Gar was not goofing on Frankenstein. No, but also we never learned what exactly was happening with that, and it seems like it's done now, which was kind of a disappointment to me. Well, they had to let Raven do something. They didn't have to. 
seemed like... They didn't really have Robin do that much. Robin broke into a thing. Yeah, which Kid Flash also just could have vibrated through. Yeah, but, you know, they gotta let him do a thing. Yeah, I guess. Him and Raven. Yeah. Yeah, so, like I said, there's no payoff for Beast Boy's good, good Frankenstein goofs. Nope. Like, it really seemed like it was setting him, oh, there's some kind of underlying story here. Has a different entity taken over him? And it was like Wolfman was just, oh, shit, I can't figure out what I want to do with that. Uh... For some reason that I won't explain, the Purple Ray made him a kill-crazy monster. And then also for some reason I, I don't feel like getting into Raven just calms him down and then it's gone. Or it could have been Wolfman who's like, you know it's also Green Man? Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are huge. Oh, wait a minute. I got nothing. Raven calms him down. <laughs> yeah. Why are dinosaurs green? That's the way I've seen them depicted. <laughs> Sometimes. Specifically the Brachiosaurus there. I always thought of them as being, like, brown or gray. Mm. But we don't know, man. They could be any color of the rainbow. And apparently they probably had feathers and shit. I don't know what's going on with dinosaurs these days. Chickens. Chickens are also good. No, like, the chicken is, like, a dinosaur relative. Yeah, no, I understand that, Corey, but you just said chickens. <laughs> as though it were a sentence. Just like picking What's up, up with dinosaurs? They're changing a lot. Chickens. That is a lot of shorthand. <laughs> Get up. <laughs> No. Fair enough. Beast Boy turns into a Brachiosaur, which apparently he couldn't do before. I guess the Purple Ray, they used too much Purple Ray on him. Mm -hmm. And then he couldn't handle it and he exploded, which is weird because that isn't what happened in the last issue. Mm -hmm. Like, they used the Purple Ray on him and he barely woke up and is like, ah, now I'm going to be Frankenstein and kill. Mm -hmm. And then the building blew up. And then in this issue, the building blew up. It could have been happening at the same time. Yeah, it it said, like, the purple rakes. It looked like in the last issue, I'm pretty sure, they turned the purple, like, it's like, well, that's a good, all in a day's work. He's not conscious yet, but he seems like he's better. Let him sleep it let's off. Let's turn the, let's let him sleep it off, mm. turn the purple ray off, and then he's just like, I live, and I live to kill. Yeah, I don't know. It, it seemed kind of lame. That was one of the things that, that I was like, huh, that's kind of a disappointment. Inconsistent. Yeah. Speaking of inconsistencies... Hey, he's the man. Why the fuck doesn't Paradise Island implode or whatever when he turns into a Brachiosaur and starts stomping all over? Because he's a beast. Okay, which brings you to my other point, <laughs> which is there is no reason why he has to stay on that table except for to protect the Amazons from his lechery. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because when he wakes up, he's just like, oh man, let me grope these ladies. And they're like, um... No. Also, you're welcome. Yeah, Beast Boy is back. Yeah, and he's back to acting like goddamn Speedy again. Mm-hmm. Or Hawkeye, or any archer. Yeah, well, I don't know. He's always been a little bit gross in that way. Yeah, but I felt like he was getting better. Mm. And now he's back to, like, square one Beast Boy. At least temporarily. I, I understand maybe he's tired. Those are his defense mechanisms. He's feeling insecure, so that shit's acting up. But I do like that the Amazons don't even bring up the idea of, yeah, you know, you could change into pretty much any animal like you do all the goddamn time, and then you could go anywhere you want on the island. But let's just leave it at, you can't leave this table or our place is going to blow up. Yep. And then he's like, I'm in hell. Yeah. I feel like it is a pretty chill way for them to just play the hot lava game with Gar, and I wonder if they want to maybe take that ship back to the Titan Tower and try that on him. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. All right, so let's go through with the different Titans and see what you think of each of their adventures. Very good. Okay, we've discussed 
Garfield Logan a bit. Mm-hmm. How about Victor Stone? Um, I don't know. The, the sort of back and forth between him and, and Robot Man. I loved that shit, it's, man. Did you enjoy it? I really did. Did you not? I don't know. It seemed a little wooden. That's not a good metaphor for robots. It's not wooden, no. I would say a little <laughs> metallic. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't know. It was okay. I'm not super familiar with Robot Man. Uh, he was a former race car driver who had a bad accident. And he's kind of like the the beta version of Cyborg. In, say, in that they... he, he is a cyborg. Mm. He was created by a dude called the Chief who took... His crash was bad enough that really the only thing that survived was his brain. So they took his brain and shoved it in a robot body. And he's basically, personality-wise, he's the thing from Marvel Comics, pretty much. And he gets that, like, that's his speech patterns and all that stuff. Same smile. Like, Smile, same, oh, what a revolting development. I'm stuck in this body, but I'm still just a tough-as-nails dude, but I'm also a robot body guy. Oh, man. It's interesting that he's analogous to the Thing, because otherwise the Doom Patrol are generally analogous to the X-Men. You have a wheelchair-bound super brain that put the team together, and a group of freaks who are hated and feared by the rest of the superhero community who don't necessarily view, at least at first, their powers as a boon, but rather as a hindrance and something that makes them different and sets them apart. And that's the Doom Patrol. And that's the group that Beast Boy grew up with until they got killed by Madame Rouge, which Mm. I kept going back and forth and misreading her name as Madame Rogue. Yeah. Um, I think it's Rouge. It's R-O-U-G-E, and I think Rogue is R-O-G-U-E. Okay. Yeah. That's what screwed me up. That was what screwed you up. Yeah. Oh, okay. A-okay. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Yep. Um, (laughs) I didn't mean what screwed you up. I know earlier you were asking me about Zal and Rouge if we'd seen them before. Yeah. But just transposing those two letters, now you're right as right and you know who they are. Oh, no. I still don't know. Oh, okay. I felt like I should know who they are, but... They've been discussed before. I think Beast Boy has brought them up. Specifically, I believe, Madame Rouge as, she killed my family. I'm not crazy about that. And Mm -hmm. my kooky stepdad is off looking for them. In the dialogue, everybody knows who they are. And they're like, oh yeah, those guys. So I was like, oh yeah, I must have read about them and maybe I forgot. Yeah, no, we haven't specifically dealt with them in this title before. Mm. I think they're minorly well-known in the DC universe, but... Not hugely. And they are real dicks. We talked about how the Doom Patrol died saving a island of, I believe, 11 people off the coast of Maine. They sacrificed their lives for them. And I was like, well, that's it's, it's actually a very touching death knell for the team. Or at least it appeared to be because, turns out, Robot Man's okay. Hmm. Beast Boy's fine. I don't think he was with them at the time. And Steve Dayton, or Mento, is with them. Yeah. Uh, the delicious... The Fresh Maker. Yeah. Yeah. I am almost certainly going to continually <laughs> refer to him as the Fresh Maker. And by the time this podcast comes out, in the synopsis, I'm pretty sure he's getting called the Fresh Maker a few times. That's fair. Yeah. I, yeah, the foreshadowing was very heavy-handed with this Mento suit. You know what? It is, but... Do we Fuck know? It. The foreshadowing was very heavy with Gar having something happen that made him into a Frankenstein monster, and that never came to fruition. So clearly, they have plans to make him be the the mole within the team that's reporting to Rouge and Zal. Mm-hmm. But I can also see them switching that up and making it Robot Man. I could see that as well. Yes. 
I thought Cyborg had some decent moments. They do a weird thing where they make it be that, oh, I never saw eye to eye with Kid Flash. He's the one I don't get along with. It's like, really? This is issue 13. This is the first it's come up. And he walks it back and is just like, oh, I'm just worried about Gar. And then also, my definitely not my girlfriend. Don't worry about it. No interracial relationships in DC at this point. My teacher friend. My teacher friend, who I like, who I'm very good friends with. But I probably should have said, hey, so... Here's what happened. Sorry, Sorry those guys tried to kill you. Yeah, my bad. That sucked. <laughs> Dick move on my part. Anyway, I'm taking my mostly dead friend off here to a mystical island of Amazons. You understand. He never got a chance to say any of that shit. He just dropped her off and was like, okay, bye. And then they went to search the jungle. You know, it's like, I got some things I gotta do. Yep. Bye. Uh, yeah. But overall, I, I honestly, I thought Cyborg was handled pretty well in this. I wasn't... He saved a life. He did. He saved Robot Man's life. Mm -hmm. And he used his science skills to do it. Yep. It's weird to me that both he and Robot Man talk in terrible, like, basically identical tough guy accents. They say maybe the same way. Maybe. 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 Is that... Maybe. That, I don't know how to say the two E's with the... M-E-B-B-E. -B -B -E. Is that it? I think so. Maybe. Meb? Meb, yeah. Mebe. <laughs> Mebe. I don't yeah. know. They talk funny. Yeah. But they talk funny in the exact same way, which is odd because I think they're supposed to represent very different types of street talk. Mm. But what the fuck do I know? Race cars and cyborgs. I don't know race cars and cyborgs. <laughs> I wish I did. All right. Who, who do you want to talk about next? We already went over the kangaroo jousting, right? We went over the kangaroo jousting, but let's talk about Starfire and her journey a little oh, bit. Oh, man, did she do a good job or what? She did a great job. She wins a kangaroo fight. Yep. Which and is a, great. And a stick fight. And a stick fight. And we find out that her Zen Space Walrus Yeti mentors <laughs> taught her that you can beat any foe because they're just made out of atoms. Yep. And just you're just a single unit. Focus you on that. You and your stick. Those tusk things were crazy. I was like, that dude's got a mustache and a... Is that his must? Nope. He's got a mustache and crazy mustache-shaped tusk things. Yes, because he's a crazy Yeti space walrus or the Okara. Is that it? Okapa? There wasn't right. enough apostrophes, so I couldn't quite get the alien. It's weird, man. That's yeah, they put extra vowels in instead of forsaking vowels in favor of apostrophes. Which, I was like, are these guys even from space? It's, yeah. Maybe they're from the center of the earth. Or just earth dudes wearing goofy costumes. I don't know. Oh, man. I don't think Starfire would have fallen for that. Probably not. Well, I don't know. She was a kid. Yeah, they started training her when she was very young. She doesn't mm -hmm. look super... Yeah, like she was supposed to be like 12. I don't know. Either way, they did a good job training her up and yeah. teaching her to fight. Yeah, she beat everyone. And there is some characterization of her in this that it seems counter to things that are established about her. Like the fact that they taught her that there is no joy in battle or victory. It's like, wait a minute. She loves fighting. She gets a bloodlust. She craves battle. I think I feel like they acknowledge that, and she was just like, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to like uh, this, try but to, it's awesome. Try to keep that in check. Yeah. But, like, I feel like that would have come up before when she was in a crazy bloodlust, you know? Maybe it's only when she fights with sticks or on kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, kangas. Yeah. Yeah. Show a little respect. Rue is the daughter, Kanga is the mother. My bad, my bad. Yeah. Haven't you read House at Pooh Corner? Uh, no. Oh, really? I don't know. It's a good book, man. Oh. You better go to school. 
<laughs> Learn about Winnie the Pooh. Okay, I will do that as soon as you write that letter to those people you're supposed to write the letter to. Which people are... Th- I don't remember, but it was some homework I gave you a while back. <laughs> I did it. Okay, I'll read the book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, here I come. <laughs> All right. All right, that settles that. It's got some pictures. You'll do fine. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, so they taught her to be all zen and chill and really apparently taught her an attitude towards fighting and battle that seems far more akin to what we've seen from Wonder Girls thus far than it does to Starfire. But I liked it, so cool. It was nice to see Wonder Girl totally kick ass and just be like, I really want to, you know, mess people up because I'm angry about what happened, but... But just calm down, yeah. breathe, uh, wait and be like, ah. That's not going to make me feel better either. And talk it over with Terry, and I gotta say... Terry gets a little creepy sometimes. He gets a little condescending in this. Overall, I really like their relationship. He's a secure dude. He is. And and I like that about him. I will say, it's a little bit sketchy that he's like, she's like, you're not intimidated by me? He's like, ah, I was beat up by girls all the time when I was growing up. I got older sisters. Besides, it's kind of kinky when you do it. Yeah. Okay, maybe don't put that right next to talking about your sisters. Skip a beat. Yeah. Like, maybe, maybe, yeah. Or maybe don't do that right now because she's a little vulnerable right now. I do like that he's like, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's chill. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's totally kidding. (laughs) No. I think that's kind of Terry's bag. He's also, though, a little bit, like you said, there's the the condescending part of it where he's like, I'm a professor and mortals get, you know, mesmerized by Greek gods all the time. So so just let it go. Yeah. That seemed kind of lame. I th- Yeah, I get what he's trying to do there, but you're right. It does seem like to an extent that he's trivi- trivializing her trauma. Yeah, he should have been listening rather than yeah. instructing, I think. I think that's true. And I think it's it's something that does come up when people are trying to empathize sometimes. Rather than just listen, they will attempt to show empathy. And I know I'm guilty of this sometimes by saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I know what you're going through. Here's something similar that happened to me. So I can see where this is coming from, or I understand what that's like, rather than just letting their experiences be their experiences and listening. Absolutely. But also in his case, he was like, I've read about this a lot. Yeah, that's fair. You are fine. (laughs) Did I tell you I'm a professor (laughs) of history? How often do you think he says that in the course of their day? Uh, It comes up, you know, once or twice at least. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine so too. Once or twice a date. His heart's in the right place, I think. It it is. And like I said, overall, he is very supportive. He is not jealous of either the fucked up shit that Hyperion, like with Hyperion, where I can see that coming out that way, especially in the early 80s in a comic book, or of her being more powerful than him, which is cool. And I like the idea of a powerful Amazonian dating a non-powered dude. Mm -hmm. And having that not be a big deal the same way it's not a big deal that, like, Superman's involved with Lois Lane or any of the main superheroes seem to get civilian girlfriends all the time. Yeah, why not have it go the other way? Agreed. She's so tough. She's very tough. She does a good job picking up that forklift. She beats up all those dudes. Those hoods wanted none of it. No. And they did call her mama, too, which I think (laughs) is funny. She had a great time, and then she was cool with going back to Paradise Island and hanging out with her buds. Raven, as we said, did a pretty good job of calming down Beast Boy, chilling him out. There's a weird back and forth between Raven and Starfire and Hippolyta, where I kind of like that dynamic that's developing where it seems like 
no, you're more like me. No, you're more like me. And she's like, girls, <laughs> girls, I'm a lot like both of you. But better than both of you. <laughs> it is interesting, though, that both Raven and Coriander point out that Paradise Island totally reminds them of their respective homes because, as drawn by Perez, the similarities are really, really there. Yeah. So it's it's kind of fun, I think, that they both reference it. Although, Raven doesn't really have a point. Like... Starfire has just competed in this battle arena with them, and they seem to share a very similar warrior philosophy, at least as she espouses of not celebrating battle, but being very good at it and doing it when necessary. And then Raven's just like, no, they're more like me because they love peace. It's like, yeah, you see that kangaroo, Justin? You see any of that shit going on with your dumb fucking Azerathians? No. I didn't see it either. I didn't either. And also, Raven seems to have forgotten that she disapproved of Azeroth's non-interference policy. Mm -hmm. And that she was at constant odds with the people on Azeroth. It was not a happy childhood for her. No, they kicked her right out. Yeah. You do see that sometimes. When people move away from a place, they'll bitch about it the whole time they were there. But then once they get elsewhere, they're like, no, it's the best. Yeah. I feel like that's what's going on with Raven. Could be. Could be. She's like. Yeah, man, they got friendlies there. It's great. I had to shovel so much snow is the best. Yeah, I love shoveling snow. It's great being cold all the time. Defrosting your car. Uh-huh. <laughs> I miss that so much. <sighs> the best cup of coffee you could get was a Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> coffee Azeroth. is actually not that bad. It's not that bad, but it's also not actually good. I, I'm sorry. I went, went when, when we went back most recently, I was like, I have built it up in my head to be like this amazing ambrosia of life. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this is better than gas station coffee, mm -hmm. generally. Mm -hmm. Okay. They put cream and sugar in it if you ask for it regular. That's something. That's nice. Yep. 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 So, in summation, Azeroth's a pretty great place. You know that I was a grown man until before... I actually experienced the actual Dunkin' Donut. The donut with, like, the little piece of dough that's, like, the handle. Oh, really? Yeah. I just thought it was a donut place, and you just... That was just, like, their idea. It was, like, we're the first people that conceived of that you put this in your coffee, and it's good. No, it was it had that little little dough handle yeah, on the outside. Explain like that to me. shaped like a cube. I was like, what? Just... They don't have them there anymore. Like, when I was back there, they don't make the Dunkin' Donut. I don't... I, I never... I didn't see them. Mm. That's some bullshit, man. Weird. Yeah. You know where they probably have them? Hmm. Azeroth. <laughs> God, I miss Azeroth. Ah, oh, it's so good there. Our winters are so crisp. <laughs> it's nice that the thing about Azeroth is they've got four seasons. They, yep. Four distinct You know seasons. when fall is fall. Yep. The leaves are changing. Uh-huh. Except all those damn tourists. Oh, boy. The politics are a little off. It's kind of too bad. There's no state sales tax in Azeroth. <laughs> so all the money for education has to come out of property taxes. So if you live in a nice town in Azeroth, then you get really good education, but if you live in a burnt-out mill town in Azeroth, then there isn't enough money to spend on education, and uh, the yep. quality suffers. They yep. can't pay their teachers enough. Yep. Yep. Don't but, forget the state-run liquor. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Wait, but, I got that here, too. Here in Paradise Island? Yeah, it's like we're back in Azeroth. <laughs> in some ways, yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, Azeroth. I think we might have gone a little... Off the rails. <laughs> Off the rails on that. <laughs> I don't see how. Sorry, guys. Oh, I don't know why you're apologizing to them. I'm the one who has to edit it. <laughs> Kid Flash. Kid Flash does a very good job. 
He does. He does almost too good a job. The reason I say that is he is so efficient in how he does the jobs that he's given. Like, he scouts ahead, and he dismantles all of the guards. And he's he's like, sorry, that took almost two seconds for him to beat, like, the six guards. And do it quickly enough that they don't report to anyone. Why doesn't he do that all the time? This is the thing that we run into with all these guys. Yeah, very inconsistent power levels. And competence. It makes me wonder to what extent his insecurities are maybe founded. I mean, it's it's for storytelling is why it's that way, but but it also in some ways makes them more human. Yeah. Like, you have those days where you know, you're just having a really on day where whatever activity you're involved in, you're just killing it. Right. And then the next day you can go do the same activity and just fucking suck at it. Yeah. I don't have super speed though. But if you did, like, you'd just apply it really badly <laughs> one day. <laughs> Oh, man, I could fuck things up so quickly, right? (laughs) That's fair. Still, there are also certain things that I forget about sometimes until he brings up the fact that it's like these four panels that I just participated in took place over the course of two seconds. And he was shit talking to the guards as he was beating them up and dismantling their armor. It's like to them, that must have just sounded like if that. Very annoying. So why are you shit-talking? It's fun for him. I guess. That's how he is. I guess. I'm I'm in no position to criticize anyone else's internal monologue. <laughs> or external <laughs> monologue, as the case occasionally is. I'm going to hold you to that, sir. I don't criticize your, your external monologue. But if you do, I'm going to be like, Hub, you're in no position to do that. Okay, that's fair. You said it. Oh, well, maybe I'll be in a different position then. Uh... Aha! Oh. There is something that Kid Flash does. As I said, he does a wonderful job this issue. He goes and gets the Freshmaker suit for Steve. I think that's a big mistake. six guards. Seems like it is. Like, yeah, it was guarded by six dudes, but they had it in a gift box. That's a nice box. That's maybe a little suspicious. Mm -hmm. Maybe he did such a good job because they wanted the Mento suit to get out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I know. Yeah. I'm just parsing it. Chickens. (laughs) That's what I said. Yeah. Chickens come. Look it up. <laughs> yeah. It's, they literally gift wrapped it for him. Yep. There you go. So, yeah, a little bit suspect. There is something else that he did that I, I didn't like as much. And not from a he did a bad job point. Because he didn't do a bad job at any point in this issue. He They overplayed, I think, his self-doubts. It's one note, and I think it gets driven home a little more than it needs to. And one of the times that that happened that I specifically wish they hadn't had his thought bubbles voicing the narrative of his own self-doubt is after he has scouted ahead mm-hmm. and seen Robot Man's body being crucified on the side of a... An African... Pyramid? Pyramid temple. Yeah, an African... Ziggurat. Yeah. Uh, and Robot Man is crucified on the outside of it. Wally has scouted ahead, seen that, gone back, gotten the others, and said, You have to see this. Hurry up. We're going to go check this out. I found something. It's awful. Okay, that's a good setup for the reveal of Robot Man being crucified on the side of this pyramid. And what's a really, really dramatic panel, it's undercut by the fact that in the thought bubbles in the page before that, he thinks to himself, and so we read him thinking... Oh, after seeing what those bastards did to Robot Man, and with Gar almost dying, it's making me question my superhero thing all more than ever. He's almost dead. It's like, wait, what the fuck, dude? You fucked up the reveal. 
it pissed me off because that was such a powerful image of Robot Man hanging there, and mm-hmm. it kind of ruined it there. Bad job, Wolfman. Bad. It was on the cover, to be fair. Yeah, I know it's on the cover, but still. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm able to compartmentalize that, because a ton of shit that happens on covers of comic books doesn't show up in the middle, so... That's fair. Not necessarily the spoiler that it could have been. Yeah, I don't know. Kid Flash is ready to go home and give his bad dad back that uh, turkey slicer. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> like, all right, you're wearing the pants again. Yeah, I fuck it up, man. Go, I'm going back to college. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> going back to college. You're the man of the house again. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> Uh, do you think he has the turkey slicer with him at all times i don't know i feel like he keeps it somewhere like under his bed or like somewhere special i like to think that he shrinks it down and puts it inside that ring that his costume moves in when he's not uh when he's got his costume on already Mm -hmm. gotta put something in there like a little totem yeah a little turkey slicer neck to prove that he's a big big boy now i'm the man of the house yep sorry dad every house still weird (laughs) super weird we talked about robin a little bit he does a pretty good job. He's got his collapsible shield. He has some good goofs. That's true. I forgot about that. The riot cop shield. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He looks cool in the jungle. Like, crouching on branches and stuff. In the dense foliage, his cape doesn't look as goofy. Mm-hmm. It's like it, little, it works for him. Like a bird. Tropical bird. Yeah. He's like a bird of paradise. Yeah. Flying around. Don't touch the ground. Like a flower. We were talking about Cyborg before. Mm-hmm. He must have a move I hadn't seen him use before. Hmm. His lasso hand. Oh, that's it's more of a bolo do- hand. <laughs> yeah, he whoops his hand around on yep. the steel cable and then throws it and smashes it into some fucking guards. And I guess that's something that he and Robin worked out, and it's fucking dope. Mm-hmm. I, when I first read it, I thought he was just doing the kind of standard, like, Voltron launch your fist at people thing. But I like that move so much better that it's like the go-go gadget arm. But you get some force behind that thing when you're whipping it around like that. When I was a kid, I really wanted to make one of the, like, a bolo that had, like, bombs on the end, because I saw some movie where somebody threw one and it wrapped around the person's neck and then blew him up. Oh, wow. And I was like, that is the most badass weapon ever. That is a pretty badass weapon. But, uh, it was not permitted for me to <laughs> That's try and create such a thing. That's probably for the best, Corey. Which is strange, because those are pretty permissive. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I was at... Kind of a latchkey kid when I was like 11, 12 maybe. And I went through this period where I really wanted to get throwing knives down. But we didn't have any actual throwing knives. So I was trying to throw like steak knives oh. in the woods outside. Hmm. Sometimes inside. It's dry, really hard to get. probably better than a tree. Oh, in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> in other ways, gets yeah, you into so a little more trouble. Right. But I couldn't get like kitchen knives, like steak knives with a wooden handle. Mm-hmm it's almost impossible to get them to stick into anything Mm -hmm. when you're just throwing them. And also you're 12 and not terribly coordinated. Mm. But if you tie a string around the handle of the knife, then you can twirl the string around like cyborg Mm. does with his hand. Mm -hmm. And then when you release the knife will fly point forward in a straight line and you can do it that way. And I did that a lot. And it was really cool. Mm. It's also really dangerous, and I should not have been doing that. Nope. And I made a ton of holes in everything in the house that way. How did you explain that? Uh, I blamed it on the cat. (laughs) Cat scotch. I don't think my dad believed me, but he also didn't want to talk about it. And I think he thought that I was saying that the cat went up and stabbed the wall. 
And he also thought that I was just going and stabbing the wall. He's like, Whoa. but he still didn't want to talk about it. I'm just gonna give that kid some room. <laughs> I think that's a good call. Yeah, let's, let's not get stabby. Yeah. Anyway, if you're listening to Dad, I wasn't stabbing the wall. I had to come I up with a very cool knife throwing technique. Good to know. Yeah. So a cyborg does a good job with that. Yep. <laughs> and the other thing that I wanted to bring up is we've talked a little bit about bad accents before. He's only in a couple of panels doing it, but General Zal, I'm pretty sure he's supposed to have a German accent, because I think he's a Nazi. He seems real Nazi-ish. He has the worst written phonetically German accent I have seen in a long time, and it's got a ton of competition. Mm. Der? Uh, Der, I'm actually okay with, but let's see. Where is it? Uh, towards Der End. Mm. Der War is not yet over, Rouge. Day may yet defeat you in your moment of triumph. The day is what does it. Days. Like, that should be with a Z and an H. You guys. Those Days. guys. Day. Those guys. Day. Durr. And it makes the dur sound like it's <laughs> just saying dur instead of like a German dur. And I could not take him seriously. I mean, honestly, there's a lot of reasons I can't take him seriously. But that accent as written phonetically. The dem. That's, no. That's, that's, no. Okay. Boo. Anyway, you ready to get into the minutia? Sure. Rick, would you like to sing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. All right, Corey, what would you like to hit first? Let's hit sounds. Okay, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? My favorite sound was Beast Boy not quite goofing on Frankenstein and growling. Ah, when he says growl? Yeah. Because we have come up against that before. It's not our first growl. No. (laughs) And I love it every time it comes up. And I love the idea of a growling beast, but with a southern drawl. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just going growl. That was nice. Mine was also Beast Boy related. And it is... When the lab is exploding by Beast Boy turning into a giant Brachiosaurus, the noise it makes is... Batoom! Which I love for a couple of reasons. It's a fun noise. It also reminds me of my favorite French basketball player, Nicolas Batoum. I was going to say, that sounds like a basketball game. And so, that was fun. And I liked it. And, yeah, that is why Batoum is... My favorite sound effect. That is fair. He's a good uh, utility player. Fills out the stat sheet. Yeah. So, what do you feel like hitting up next? I had a little bit of difficulty identifying the best bozone. I didn't hear any bozos. Did I miss them? No, I didn't see any bozos, but I had. there were a couple of really good zingers in this. All right, what's your top zinger? Well, taking it to the bozone, I'm going to do my number two first. (laughs) (laughs) Good Lord, Corey. And it is Kid Flash. Saying, jealous cyborg, worried he'll steal all your motor oil. Oh, shit. That was the one. That was, I had that one, too. It's not great. It's okay. That was that was the one that you had? I did. I did pick that one. It it was fine. It's, it's easy. I think Kid Flash can do better, but it was in keeping with his character. I feel like it's kind of robo-racist, but what can you do? It was a different time when everybody was terrible. Yep. My absolute favorite is when Cyborg has just revived Robot Man. 
Robot Man says, oh, I recognize Robin and Kid Flash, but who the hell are you? And Cyborg says, oh, I'm the new Cyborg, the new 1981 robot body. Robot Man's response is, it's a good thing I'm dead, otherwise I'd barf. <laughs> that is rad all around. It's one of my favorite zingers we've had yet in the series. That is really good. I How did you miss that? Well, I was still sort of reeling from the... I was just thinking about dates. I was like, 1981. How old was I in 1981? Would that seem like a cool robot or a lame robot? Like, was that cutting oh, out? Is there a time when he would seem like a lame robot? Cyborg? Well, according to what Robot Man said. <laughs> I think Cyborg looks cool. I think he looks cool, too. I think maybe somebody could give him a shirt. I was just going to say, the, the, the... Like, why doesn't... I don't understand why he doesn't wear any clothes. But, I mean, for roboticization, his, his robotness is pretty cool. Yeah. But maybe 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 some pants. The one... He's always giving fucking Robin shit about not having any pants. Dude. He's basically wearing, like, the top part of a... People in pantsless houses shouldn't throw pants. Yeah. Yeah, he's got, like, a one-piece swimsuit. Like, a lady's one-piece swimsuit. Yeah. Um, or, like, a wrestling singlet without the leg parts, just like a bikini-cut one. Do yeah. they have those? Uh, Andre the yes. Giant kind of wore something like that. Yeah, right? and I think the big show does, too. Mm, okay. Yeah. He might have... I well, feel like he singlet, might have kind of spanks as part a, of his singlet. He's got dual dual straps, though, so I don't know what you so call I, that. Uh, I think it's just a unitard. A doublet? I think a doublet's something else. I don't know that word. I think it's a thing. I think that's like a. Uh, I think that's like a, a blousey shirt. Oh, good. I was afraid I accidentally said something bad. I don't think so. Oh, good. What did? Were you worried it was a racial slur? Nope. <laughs> oh, that's good. Whenever I make up a nonsense word, I'm worried that it's a racial slur. That can be the worst. Because well, and because people are just you know so terrible that there's a ton of them, and I don't know all of them. And sometimes I just like to make up gibberish sounds. Mm-hmm. And then when I say them out loud, I'm like, oh, shit, did I just really offend somebody? Yep, that is a bad thing. Yeah. But, yeah, seriously, dude, if you're going to keep criticizing Robin, put some pants on. Yep. Easy solution. I'm not saying you should stop criticizing Robin. We all love criticizing Robin. But if you're going to call him short pants all the time. Yeah, maybe get some long pants. <laughs> or just pants. Yeah. Any, uh, yeah, well. He's basically got briefs. Like, not even boxer briefs. And they might be part of his body. That hadn't occurred to me. I think he is wearing no clothes. I think he is nude, and that is all of the shiny metal parts are his body. Oh, no. That had never Did occurred I to me your mind? before. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I would be so much more upset about things in general if that was me. It's just occurring to you that he might not have a dick. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought he had, like, kind of a lame outfit. On the, you know, like the sink, not That he was just wearing, like, did you think it was, like, just gold lame? Or silver lame? Yeah. Maybe it is. I kind of like that idea better. I thought maybe because he's kind of sporty, like, he had a cup on (laughs) underneath. Maybe he does. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want to cast dispersions, but I, I think it would be in keeping with the treatment of black characters to not only metaphorically neuter them, but literally have him be neutered. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's unsettling. All right. So, uh, what was your show and tell moment? Oh, man. I liked it when there's a panel in which there's clearly something earthquake-ish going on and everybody's freaking the fuck out and things are bad. And Hippolyta says, the ground is shaking. Something is wrong. Yeah. No shit. Yeah, that is that is completely fair. I am tempted to give the show and tell to... 
Kid Flash's ruining of the reveal of Robot Man. Mm. But that that's a bit of a stretch. So I am instead going to go with the thugs that Wonder Woman is fighting, pointing and saying, Oh man, she's picking up that forklift like it's a toy. <laughs> Uh, that's one of my favorite panels in there. It's a really fun opening scene of her just clocking a bunch of crooks. There's so much action in it. She's picking up the forklift like it's a toy. She has swung her arm in a way that's... That's batted away three different bullets, two of which are being deflected upwards, one of which is being deflected so that it bounces off of the floorboards of the warehouse, which, that's a bad bullet. Rubber bullets, maybe? I don't think criminals use rubber bullets generally. Oh, man, they should. Wouldn't the world be better? Yeah. <laughs> Just everybody that had to use a bullet, used a rubber bullet? It really would be. It would be a paradise. I don't know. I'm just having a little, like, a hawk and dove <laughs> dilemma. Here. Oh, gotcha. You know, it's like, I like peace. Sure. But some people don't. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to deal with that. All right. That's very deep, Corey. Yep. Okay. So, I feel like oftentimes... It's a difficult choice to find the issues Speedy or Aqualad. I had a less difficult time with this one. Who is this issue Speedy for you? The Speedy was easier for me than the Aqualad. I did go back and forth. I had two top choices for the Aqualad, but I eventually had to go with my heart. Let's go with the Speedy first. In this issue, which Teen Titan did the worst job, which was the metaphoric Speedy. So I know it's not Gar's fault that the Purple Raid screwed things up. But as soon as he came back, he was creepy. Yeah, he was he was a creepy douche, and they had to lie to him and tell him he had to stay on a table and and invent a hot lava game for him. And that's why Gar was my speedy. Yep, ditto. Okay. Yeah, pretty cut and dried on that one. Yep. <laughs> and honestly, really, everybody else did a pretty good to great job. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, who was your Aqualad? Which Titan did the best job? Uh, everybody did so good, except uh, Gar. Yeah. This issue, Speedy. I think because of the destructive potential that the giant dinosaur, that the angry Gar was, I went ahead and I gave it to Raven. Really? On this one. Mm-hmm. I know it's kind of old hat for her to be like, yeah, I'm empathetic. No, no. Now, she, but... she did perhaps the single most important task in the issue. Um, And it had honestly not occurred to me to give it to her on that one, just because I felt that she was overshadowed by Kid Flash doing everything in his party. He scouted ahead, and then when they were in a fight, he dismantled the most of the bad guys, and then he scouted how to head again, and then he snuck in and took out the uh, Fresh Maker's costume and all of the guards that were guarding it. He did everything for his party. Very effective. Yeah, he was their rogue and their tank. And initially I was just like, well, it's Kid Flash. It was pretty cut and dried in my mind. And then I just kept coming back to Starfire riding that goddamn giant kangaroo around. And I can't not give it to her. Letting out an unbridled whoop. (laughs) Yep. Of happy victory time. Yeah. And man, she just, she kicks so much ass. She beats up all the Amazons with a stick. Beat them at their own game. She did. And then she also restrained herself at the end. She remembered her space yeti walrus training. I liked her arc in that she had, they had actually set it up and it's a minor point that they bothered setting up that she had been feeling insecure and feeling like she wasn't powerful enough and that she was constantly getting thwarted. And then 
having this be her redemptive thing where it's like, no, I just need to calm down, relax, remember my training and have her come out of it thinking that's all I need to continue to remember to do. I will never feel powerless as long as I keep training, maintain my training and... I was like, yeah, good for you, man. And also, and mostly, she rode a giant kangaroo into battle with other giant kangaroos and kicked ass. Mm-hmm. I can't not give it to her. That's fair. Yeah. So, sartorially speaking, mm. what fashion choices would you like to comment upon in this issue? I'm going to go with a duo. Oh, yes? Yes. Which is, Terry is waiting in the alley for Wonder Girl with her... <laughs> change of clothes out of her superhero outfit on uh-huh. his arm and then they change and then they go strolling down the alley together sure and they have this crazy like mostly primary color thing going on almost looked like they're like a google ad or something oh yeah totally you know but it was just i don't know it was just vibrant and a, a good look it was I and think. i specifically liked terry's outfit I, I had a feeling you would like this. He's, he's got a deep V polo shirt that's bright yellow, and he's wearing some green jeans with it. Mm-hmm. I'd recently been listening to Run DMC's Raisin' Hell, ah. and when they describe their Adidas, one of my favorite lines in it is, uh, and yellow and green when it's time to get ill. Mm-hmm. So Terry is wearing his time to get ill mm-hmm. outfit, yep. and it looks pretty good. Yep. It was a good look. It was. I also did want to bring up at least briefly a different duo's looks. Mm. Madame Rouge and General Zal. <laughs> bad Classic guys. bad guy shit Total going bad on. Guys. Fucking Rouge has a cigarette holder, mm-hmm. which you're either a supervillain or Hunter S. Thompson or possibly both. I guess the both of that would be Duke from the Doonesbury cartoons, who was both Hunter S. Thompson and in many ways kind of a supervillain. Um... <laughs> Oh shit! And it's just a—I don't know—he's brought, it's, it's he's brought down a, a notch by like I remember one where like he's some girl shows up, he has got a date, and and Duke's mom is wait no, never yep. mind that's Steve Dallas. <laughs> I went from I, you went you went, I went to Bloom County. County yeah. I read the two of them a lot as a kid, and no, I understand. I, I understand conflating sometimes. the two of them, and they're very different. They are. But they both have sunglasses and cigarettes. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Please continue. Will do. I also liked, and, and I mean like is a, is a strong word, but the uh, <laughs> General Zal's monocle. Like, is 1981. Who's wearing a monocle these days? Bad guys. Yeah. Just like, no, this is my look. I'm sticking with it. I bet Madame Rouge gives him shit about that. Like, you could just have a clear lens for your other one. Mm-hmm. then you don't have to constantly squint. Mm-hmm. I read somewhere, I'm not sure if it's entirely a joke, but that they're starting to have monocles be a fad. That wouldn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise me. I'm kind of surprised that I haven't seen any old school, like, velocipede penny farthing bikes in town. Oh, with the big wheel? With the big front wheel, little back wheel. Mm-hmm. Like in The Prisoner. Seems like we would have seen that. Yeah, but we haven't, so, you know... Maybe they're just... Good job, Portland. They're even harder than those tall bikes to ride. So, what was your favorite panel? There was really good art in this also. Yeah. There was a lot of words and a lot of stuff happened, and the art was good. Yeah. That said, it's, I, I, I know I've talked some shit about this issue. I loved this issue, and it was so much better than the last issue. So much better. I had a couple choices. Yeah. I think 
My first place one, though, is a simple panel that has a silhouette in it. It's on page six, and I called it Starfire Victorious. Mm. And it's her Kanga is rearing up, and she's like, you know, fist bumping in the air. Yeah. The Kanga's in silhouette, and it just, it's a really badass looking. I have the initial shot of. We each picked a different <laughs> panel that is Starfire holding a lance aloft while standing on a kangaroo's back. Well, we are brothers, and after all, are we not? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I have the initial, we are about to ride kangaroos, salute you. <laughs> and you have the, I just won the kangaroo fight. Yep. <laughs> They're both great. Man, those kangaroos are so big. Those kangaroos are three times the size of an Amazon. They're ugly. That's mean, Corey. Look at it. That looks like a kangaroo. Yeah, that kangaroo is pretty ugly. Dude. That thing is ugly. Yeah, and you are right about those forearms. Those are crazy tiny forearms. <laughs> what happens if it falls over? <laughs> its face is going to hit the ground before it can catch its face. I bet it can just do flips. Like uh, those wind-up toys. Everybody falls on their face sometime. Man, that's a valuable lesson for us all to learn. Yep. And on that, we end the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a real treat. I am Hub. America's Songbird. <laughs> I'm Corey. If you would like to contact us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Tumblr and iTunes and Stitcher and Facebook and... Wherever you get your podcast. Yes, all your favorite podcatchers. If you would like to leave us a positive review on iTunes or any of the aforementioned or non-mentioned podcatchers, then please do so. Uh, it would help people find it and... I want people to listen to the things we do. Sometimes. Maybe not the last one so much. I think it came out okay. Did it? You gotta start listening to these things, Corey. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, we are on Twitter at TTWasteland underscore. We're all up in your internets. But yeah, if you could uh, leave us a review, then I would really appreciate that. You can also donate on Patreon if you are so inclined. If you do, you get access to a couple of different bonus episodes that we have done. You can... Do that at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. And yeah, we will be back next week with with the penultimate issue that covers the Avengers Defenders War. We'll get to see, I believe, Captain America and Namor mix it up. Whoa. That'll be a good time. Battle of the Invaders. So many tiny wings. Yeah, so many tiny wings. Mm. Good point. Yeah, four. Yeah. <laughs> well played. Thanks. And we'll be back in two weeks where we will find out what is going on with that Freshmaker. What is going on with that Freshmaker? <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out. I guess so. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you later, man. Bye. <laughs> and they knew it. tornado in clean sweep a mysterious vacuum thief strikes nightly in metropolis devouring items of invaluable taste no force to date has been able to stop its swift clean sweeping suction it's a hard act to swallow ready your whirlwind powers are the only match for this hungry villain my computer brain informs me we must bait the vacuum vulture with something dark and delicious later that evening 
An incredible reading. Something of incomparable taste is near at hand. Hostess cupcakes! Fudgy icing. Deep, dark, delicious chocolatey cake. Invaluable taste! I believe it is now time to stir up trouble in the vacuum's control circuits. Ready, you're quite a hero. You are mistaken, Commissioner. The hostess cupcakes are the real hero. You get a big delight in every bite of hostess cupcakes. <laughs> oh, good thing I'm not a robot. Mm-hmm. I always wonder that when I see them riding. I'm like, do you have to stop when there's... You yeah, know, I think they just kind of balance back and forth. And stuff. You know? Wow. Do that, uh, that Quicksilver thing where you... Wiggle back and forth. And a little, put a little Kevin Bacon on a little it. Little Kevin Bacon bike dancing Kevin in the warehouse. Bacon. Kevin Bacon. Because <laughs> he's biking, but he's bacon. You know it. Yep. Brawl. <laughs> 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 All right. 